0: Minute. so why don't you start heading towards your seats. Um, welcome, my name is Simon, as Casey mentioned, I'm the pastor here at Grace City Portland. If we've not met, or if you're new, new-ish, thank you for being here this morning. Um, there's a lot of great places I'm sure you could find to be on a Sunday morning, but you're here, so I'm very grateful for that. And I hope, I hope this is good for you. I hope that, that your experience here this morning um, helps you. Wherever you're coming from, we say this virtually every week, I do believe, um, but we want to be a church that that exists so that anyone, potentially anyone, might experience truth, grace, and new life in Jesus Christ. Um, There's a lot that can be said about all of that, um, but we begin with with doors wide open. Um, So for wherever you're coming from, whatever you believe or don't believe, um, or just confused about what you might believe, um, let's, let's explore all those things together. Um, let's listen to each other uh, respectfully. Let's be open to the Holy Spirit and trust that um, this isn't just a human exercise. But as Hannah mentioned, at the end of worship, God is here with us. In fact, Jesus promised us that when we gather together to meet with him, to meet in his name, as we say, he's present by his spirit. So what we're doing here this morning goes well beyond a social experiment or just gaining more information. We are here to actually engage with a God who is alive and well and intensely interested in his creation. That would be us. Um, So with all that said, we're going to jump into the sermon series that we've been working through for a few months now. And in fact, we'll continue through the Unlikely Church series all the way up until Easter The series is based out of a study that we've been doing in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, It's not so much a book as much as a letter that was written by one of the early church leaders. Someone um, who's quite famous, if you've been around the Bible at all, known as the Apostle Paul. And God used this man and spoke through him. Uh, He inspired Paul to pin letters that in fact with the very words of God, the very heart of God, caught on paper, by pen, through a man, that we might experience not just some interesting facts about a letter that was written a long time ago, but, but God himself. So we're going to do that this morning. If you have a Bible, um, feel free to open it now. and go to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you'd like a Bible, we have some in the boxes in the center aisle here. You're very welcome to grab one of those um, and flip far right until you come to a section entitled 1 Corinthians. This is part 18. 18. We've been at it for a little while now. And uh, I've entitled this particular sermon, The Serious Business of Love. And... Uh, As we've already pointed out several times uh, along the way, we find that this this man that God was using and speaking through um, to do something quite significant in this little group of Jesus followers in the ancient city of Corinth, this, this man Paul was intensely passionate about the love of God in Christ. And we're jumping right into the middle of the letter. Uh, so if this is new to you, you might feel a slight jolt um, because we're jumping into mid-thought. In fact, this, is, um, this particular passage that we'll be covering this morning, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is a continuation of thought, um, which means it's actually a continuation of last week. So if you didn't get that, you can grab it on the podcast And um, it'll hopefully all make perfect sense to you. Um, But before we jump right into the text, I want to pray for us, but I want to say something even before that. I was here this morning, um, quite quite a large group of us were here from Grace City, our church, obviously, and then another church called Door of Hope, which meets over in Southeast. This is actually their building. We lease it from them so that we can gather and do this. And we formed this really cool partnership. We're like friend churches in Portland. And we've been meeting here at 6 a.m., Every morning, literally seven days a week for the last, what's it been, Ken? 12, 13 days? Yeah, it feels like months now. <laughs> it's awesome. It actually has been awesome. But this morning, myself, uh, Dylan, one of the other guys from Grace City here, we were praying with two other guys from Door of Hope. And one of the guys, Jeff, said, hey, any, any, any prayer requests? And he said, what about Grace City? What's on your heart um, for the church? And I thought for a second, I said, you know, honestly, my prayer for our church is that, that God would help us to have hearts and minds that are just more open to him, that are more receptive to the things that are on God's heart, so that our hearts would be soft and that we could truly engage with our God and allow him to, uh, to change us, because that, that's what God does. He takes broken people and he begins to mold us and redeem us and heal us and do beautiful things through us that actually reflect who he is and ultimately who, who we're all meant to become, like Jesus. And so I said, that, you know, my prayer request is that we'd have soft hearts. And he looked at me and he said, hmm, so your church has hard hearts, huh? And I was like, well, no, I, don't, I, no, I wouldn't go that far. We just, we just want softer hearts, more open. So I'm gonna pray along those lines, if you'll join me. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we open uh, your word this morning, you would open our hearts to respond accordingly. I pray that you would give us soft hearts and even attentive minds, that we would tune in to the things that are in your heart, that we would be able to understand the things that you wanna teach us this morning and that ultimately we would leave here with an even greater experience of your life, new life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go for it. Many of your Bibles um, will have entitled this sort of latter half of chapter 11, The Lord's Supper. So we're going to start in chapter 11 verse 17. There we go. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Quickly, if we go back to last week, he begins this chapter by saying, "I do commend you uh, for keeping the traditions that I've handed down to you, but I want you to understand." So he says, "Well done, doing what you know, the traditions, but you need to understand, like the meaning behind what you're doing. Now he picks up that same train of thought. He says, but in this, I do not commend you. Um, So brace yourselves. In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine might be uh, recognized. Those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Let's pause there. I want to say two things about that. Number one, I love how non-anxious Paul is about the, the, the plain fact that as the church gathers, there are and will be people there that, that are what he calls part of the faction. Okay, there's, there's the believers, the, the genuine, sincere followers of Jesus, and then there's people who aren't. Um, and he doesn't seem to be really bothered by that. Um, secondly, he says it in a way as if to suggest that the genuine believers uh, should be relatively obvious. Um, Which begs the question, what is a genuine believer? And if it's meant to be relatively obvious, how do we recognize one? How do you know if you are one? Let's continue. Verse 20. He says, when you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper. Now he's referring to communion. It's what we call communion, taking the bread and the wine. He says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. I, I love how the, the, the translators, of course this was originally in Greek, but they've really done a great job of, of just uh, capturing the sharpness of Paul's language. Um, now remember, this is, this is all connected to last week, and we, we're jumping right into the middle of the letter. But you've got to know that Paul, he is now really he is going for the jugular. Um, he's, he's properly upset about this gathering that's taking place in this so-called church of Corinth. And he says, when you come together, it's actually for the worse. What does one make of that? What would you be thinking? What, what would you think if I got a... a let's say I, I, I wrote a letter... I just didn't show up next week, and instead Casey stands up here or someone, and, and they said, you know, <clears throat> Simon, he, he's not here, but he wrote a letter, and we're just going to read it out loud, and I'm like, you know, you guys, honestly, like, I don't even know why you, you come here every Sunday, like, it's, you'd be better off if, if you just didn't come, because this is not for the better, it's for the worse. This is what Paul is saying to this church, this is... How do the, the, they, they say the scholars call this um, harsh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would do well to remember how Paul started out. Now, remember, if you go back to the first chapter of this letter, the first section of this letter, um, he begins by commending the church. In fact, he, he begins by celebrating god 's faithfulness in this otherwise pretty, pretty debauched church gathering. He makes it obvious that he 's not given up on the church. He makes it obvious that he he, deeply, um, he cares deeply about this church, and he 's absolutely convinced that God has started something in his church and he is faithful to begin or to finish what he's begun so this isn't just Paul like wow you're really kind of going off the handle here really 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 quite angry well he is angry but for all the right reasons he cares deeply for this church and he's now pulling no punches How do you recognize a genuine follower of Jesus? Ask the question. At this point, this church in Corinth, God bless them. They've been gathering. Uh, they've been celebrating the Lord's Supper, taking communion. They, they've. It would seem they've they've begun to master the motions. They've got this this banging church service going on. We'll read uh, later on in the next few weeks to come that they they'd gotten really good at um, utilizing spiritual gifts. Um, Apparently they had some very, very intelligent teachers among them. Um, One of the reasons for the the various factions, people were divided over who they liked better preaching-wise. But it would seem that they had all of the appearances... of of like a a tight, well-run church. But Paul is saying, you may have mastered the motions, but you have lost the plot. You are missing the very heart of God. He he says something else in another letter that he writes um, to one of his young leaders, a disciple named Timothy. Let me read this to you. Um, This is out of 2 Timothy chapter 3 he writes to this young man he says but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self now check out this list this is just incredible people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy heartless unappeasable slanderous without self control brutal that's a good one Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What a terrifying thought. This, this church in Corinth, this, this ancient little community of believers, they've come together, and they seem to be doing all the right religious things. They've mastered the motions of Christian spirituality. Paul is saying, in no uncertain terms, you have missed the heart of God. You have all of the appearances of godliness. But in essence... You're denying the actual power of God to transform hearts. You're doing the right things, but your motive is completely off. That makes me nervous. I'm, I'm going to be dead honest with you. Because I'm a professional religious person, I don't get paid a lot, but I'm meant to be like, <clears throat> you know, a pro at this Christian stuff. Uh, But it would seem God is thoroughly unimpressed by uh, religious activity. He sees right past it and straight into the human heart. So what kind of, what sort of heart are we talking about? Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, he said to his disciples, this was towards the end of his ministry. He said, people will know that you're truly my disciples if you love each other the way I have loved you. That's how people will know. He says in, um, what, Matthew chapter 7. He says, people will recognize you by your fruit. Okay, that the outworking of, of what's actually inside and, and it will be obvious. It will be apparent. People will be able to decipher the difference, make the, distinct, um, the distinction between the genuine and the faux believer in Christ. How? By the way, you love each other. Now, Paul continues on. This is so interesting. But in the church of Corinth, the way this is manifest, the way this actually plays out, is over a meal. Which I find utterly fascinating. Over a meal. I don't know how your family meals play out. You know Thanksgiving, Christmas, these kind of things. But it's so interesting to me. How like you really want to see what a family is all about. Just get them together and sit them down at a single table. And just watch them go. Just watch them go. And this is exactly what's happening in this church. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 23. Verse 23. Paul continues and he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it and in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A simple meal. You know, in the church, we're really, really good at complicating everything. It's not just the church. This is like a human phenomenon. Um, we're Brilliant at just complicating life. I mean, we all long for greater simplicity, but my goodness, we complicate things. Which is what I love about this. Paul's saying, look, it's it's actually not complicated, it's not difficult to figure out. What I'm talking about is a parent in the sharing of a simple meal. And he comes at him. He says, When you gather, You've got some showing up with food and they're like, great, I'm, I'm sorted. I'm taken care of. Let's, let's eat. Others, maybe they arrive a little late. Why? Because they don't have anything or certainly as much. And so that this meal, this family meal that they're, they're eating, it, it's utterly devoid of, of meaning. In fact, it's just a bunch of religious people getting together, being slightly self-absorbed um, without any interest in those who don't have anything, those who are without. And Paul said, you've missed it. You've missed the heart of God. Why? Because what the bread means, the essence of this meal, what we're talking about, what's meant to be demonstrated in this gathering is that Jesus gave his body for you. For you I was standing in Safeway this morning it was about 7.30 I was coming home from the prayer meeting and uh, picking up some donut holes for you guys you're welcome (laughs) and uh Time Magazine had the picture of Jesus you know the Jesus I'm talking about picture of Jesus special issue I think it was left over from Christmas and uh And it said something like, you know, Jesus, his miracles, his teachings, his lessons changed the world. Awesome, wonderful, true. Missing the main component. The essence of the meal. That Jesus gave his life for you. He died for you. It wasn't just an example. It was that for sure. Um, but there's been many martyrs over the centuries. It wasn't just his teaching, although they were utterly profound, shaped the world as we know it. That, that, that's indisputable. But the essence of the meal, if you get right down to the very heart of God and what we're meant to remember and what distinguishes a person as a genuine follower of Jesus, is that revelation that God in Christ died for you. For you. And because of that, forgiveness has been made available. What does that do to the human heart? Paul says you can have all of the appearances of godliness And then he lists this ridiculous list of, of, I mean, the irony is just stupid. And he said, you can do all these things and have the appearance of godliness and yet deny its power. What power? What is the power of the gospel? It's this transforming revelation that God in Christ died for you. And because of that, forgiveness has been made available. Because that's, That will change your life forever. That revelation right there, that is the heart of God, that is the gospel for you. That's the meaning of the meal. Jesus, he tells this amazing parable, uh, Matthew 18. Mm -hmm. He says, he tells the story of a servant who was in debt, to his, his boss, his, his master, for um, 10,000 talents. Now, most of you will have a footnote next to the word talents. You know what a talent is? 20 years salary. He says, so there was this servant. He was in debt to his master for 10,000 talents. That's 200,000 years of salary. So he sets it up like this case. So there was a man and he was in debt an astronomical amount. Dude has got a PhD from OSU. (laughs) He will never, ever, ever pay that back. (laughs) Deeply in debt. And he goes to his master and he's like, I'm I'm broke, I'm lost. Like I, what, what am I supposed to do? And it says that his master has pity on him. Uh, he shows him mercy. And he says, very well, I'll forgive the debt. Only the debt doesn't just like disappear. It's not like our economy today where like there's, you know, there's actually no such thing as like real money. It's all just ethereal. The master forgives the debt. He absorbs the debt into himself. And then the servant goes out and he finds someone who owes him money. It says um, 100 denarii. You know what a denarii is? It's a day's wage. So he finds someone who owes him 100 days wage. Not even a third of the salary. So 200,000 years of salary versus 100 days. And it says the servant, he said, Man, give me my money or else I'm going like, to call the cops. Something slightly off, something slightly misaligned in his heart. Apparently, he didn't, he didn't fully realize the, the magnitude of the debt he'd been forgiven. His master finds out, and he says, "You you jerk. Do you not understand what I've done for you?" And it says that he, he locked him up in prison. He said, there you will remain until you have pay back every penny you owe me. And the point of the parable is that the kind of forgiveness that our God offers us in Christ, it's astronomical. It's unfathomable. We owe God everything. We are in debt to him an amount we could never pay off, not in 200,000 years, not in eternity. And God, in his great mercy, absorbs that debt into himself. He dies for us. What does that do to the human heart? What is it meant to do? As it transforms us into kids who are so generous, who are so full of gratitude, so full of joy, so eager to honor our father, not to to pay him back because it's already been established that that's impossible, but to honor him. We we become compelled to honor our heavenly father because of this revelation that we've had, that he's given us, that we have been forgiven, that Jesus has died for us. Now, for many of us, Dare I say all of us, there's actually, there's a, sli- no not sliver, there's a, there's a strong dose of offense in that message. Because the implication is, you need to be terribly forgiven. Like you have no idea, and nor do I. We're, we're broken, we're selfish, we are, the Bible puts it as, by nature Without God's forgiveness, we are children of wrath. The situation is dire, dire. And yet God loves us so much that he entered into creation. He became one of us, that he might die for us. And that changes everything. That changes everything. Let me put it this way. Apart from Christ, we are far more broken, self-centered, lost, and dead than we'd ever dare to admit. But because of Jesus, because of his unimaginable sacrifice for us, we are more forgiven, more loved, more redeemed, than we could possibly ever even imagine. And therein lies the essence of the gospel. And how is this meant to be played out? How does the church remember this incredible gift, this awesome act of grace? In a simple meal, in a simple meal, we come together, We serve each other. We wait for each other. You don't have anything? Let me let me split what I've got. You're looking forgiveness? (laughs) I've been given a ton. Let me extend some to you. You feel broken? You feel alone? You're looking for someone who can bear with you and love you and welcome you into the family of God well, I was once where you're at. I'm no better than you. Can I, can I please share with you what I've got, what God has given me for free in Christ? That's the power of the gospel. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 7. He says, those who have been forgiven much will love much. This is it. This is how it works. But guys, the part that stings that's that's the first part. That's realizing that apart from, from God, apart from forgiveness that's found in Jesus, um, I'm broken. I'm beyond broken. My eternity is, is bleak. And I am in desperate need of God. And this we must never forget. You know, you know what our family meal should look like? I thought a lot about this. So imagine like we were to gather for a meal. Now, our meal is a bit it's meaningful, I think, but you know, you get a little piece of bread, dip it in the wine. It doesn't quite have the same effect. The church in Corinth was obviously much smaller. They'd sit around, have a meal together. But this is how I envision us coming together as a church family. We're the kind of family, when the bill comes around, we all start fighting over the bill. We don't fight over who got the bigger... You know, It's not like at my house, where my kids fight over who gets the biggest pancake makes me so angry <laughs> like I made these pancakes you are not honoring me now <laughs> and so they fight over who's going to get the biggest pancake you know the kind of family we're meant to be we're the kind of family who fights over the bill when it arrives You know, and Jeff Dorskin tries to sneak it and I catch him I'm like no give me that bill and Josh is like no I don't have any money but I'm going to take the bill <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> I don't have any money come on <laughs> And we fight over the bill because we're all eager to reflect the heart of God. I remember my dad taught me this lesson. When I became a dad, I tried to, I tried to pull a dad move. And I went out to dinner with my dad and I tried to yank the bill and he caught me because he's like a proper dad. And he pulled me aside after the meal. And he said, let me, let me teach you something, Simon. Let me, let me explain to you how this works, okay? Now, when you go out to dinner, and your dad's present, Papa, I call my dad Papa, Papa pays the bill. That's the rule. That's how it works. I'm like, okay. And he said, and when we go out to dinner and Granddad, my mom's dad, is with us, guess who pays the bill? Granddad. Like don't even, I mean, it'll get ugly. You fight Granddad on who's going to pay the, the bill, dinner just like went sour real, real quick. Granddad pays the bill. That's how it works. Someone asked me the question one time. We had a, a little church meeting here. Someone said, How do I become a leader at Grace City? Brilliant question. What a great question. You know what the answer is? Grab the bill. Pick up the bill. I'm not talking about money, although, yeah, actually, money. Money's important. <laughs> yeah, someone's got to pay the bill. Someone, someone pays for this. You guys pay for this. You do a really good job, actually. You want to be a leader in the kingdom of God? Grab the bill. Show up and start looking for a way to serve others. That is the heart of the gospel. I've received much. I received it all for free. And now freely I'm going to give it away. And it's not this obligatory sort of thing. Like if you want to be properly religious, well, you better act like it, buddy. Mm. God's love doesn't work that way. God pours his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit whom he's given to us through faith in Jesus and obedience to Jesus, obedience to the commandments of God's word becomes increasingly, becomes our greatest desire. Because we want nothing more than to honor our God. What could be more logical than wanting to honor the God who has paid our unfathomable debt. And thus we are compelled by the love of God. There's a choice to be made for sure. Recently I had someone call me and they needed money. And, and I think, you know, obviously they thought maybe the church had a, like a benevolence fund. We don't have that yet. I can't wait to get there. And I thought to myself, well, the, we don't, the church doesn't have a slush fund but I guess I have a little bit of savings. And I felt this sort of like struggle begin to build inside of me like, oh my God, like what about all those sermons that I preached? Uh, I, I suppose I should like help my brother who can't pay rent this month. And I had to make a choice and it was a really hard choice, but it wasn't. Because it's obvious what the heart of God is. And when God's children come together, we serve each other. Let me end on this this note. And then I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we're we're gonna share the Lord's Supper. But let me say this. If the church... Okay, let me put it this way. If you're broken... If you're lost, if you're bitter, if if you've got nothing, nothing to offer. Let's put it that way. You're in a very, very safe place. You are most welcome here. Think of this like a like a place to to come and rest, like a hospital, as it were. You're safe here. You're not gonna be put to work. You're not gonna be made to earn your way. You are safe here in this family. If you have received forgiveness and you're just, you've been lavished in the grace of God, wonderful. You've got something to give others. But if you're here simply because you're into religion and you're looking for a place to show off your religious prowess, you're looking for a place where you can exhibit your spirituality, you're in a very, very dangerous position And I'll tell you why. Let's finish the the passage. Paul concludes by saying, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Your debt remains. Verse 28, let a person examine himself or herself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, realizing what this means, that this is the body of Jesus that's been broken. If he does that, and eats and eats he eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That is so extreme. That's Acts chapter five all over again. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, We're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is talking about the way God disciplines his children. Verse 33 then. So then my brothers um, and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. I wish... I wish I wish I wish I knew what the other things were. I'm so curious about the other things. He says nothing about the other things. There is no third letter. If you come to church, any church, this church, another church with this idea that oh, this is just, you know, my place to kind of do my religious thing and, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll get a chance to to be noticed or you know, whatever you're into. Uh, you will be judged by God. And guys, I, there's really no way around it. That's just what it's saying. Um, what that means is that God has zero tolerance for hypocrisy in the church. Hypocrisy, that, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the broken who's coming, look, look, I'm weak. I got nothing. Please, someone feed me. Wonderful. You're welcome here. You are safe here. You're among family. If you're here to serve, Wonderful. You're acting like God's children. But if you're here, without having examined yourself, without having an awareness of what this meal is really all about, that's called hypocrisy, and God takes it very, very seriously. Very seriously. And my encouragement to you would be repent. Repent the best word for it repent say god i've not acted like a good child when the bill comes i tend to just kind of i'm not gonna just gotta not going to just got to i got to go someplace i don't i'm not really bothered to serve i don't you know i don't ever give i don't (sighs) that's a huge problem ask god to help you ask god to change your heart Ask God to give you a desire to obey him and to serve others. Ask God to give you more compassion for those who are or broken and those who are without. When we gather, we don't come here to judge each other. Oh, what, you don't have anything? Well, what's your problem? No. How can I serve you? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, towards you? How can I build you up? How can I encourage you? How can I remind you of who you are in Jesus if you're looking for forgiveness, if you're looking to have your debt cleared so that you can get on with the life that God gave you life for in the first place, wonderful, you're in the right place. My, if you know me, you know that my personality, its I don't, I don't like talking about judgment Uh, Maybe I have an issue. Maybe it's a fear of man thing. And and I I reckon that's something that God is is helping me with. Um, But it's so necessary. We need to be confronted with with what's lurking in our own hearts. If we're guilty of hypocrisy, (sighs) guys, deal with it. Just deal with it. Put your heart before God. Ask him to forgive you. Jesus came to rescue us, to suffer judgment for us, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be set free, to become children of God, to obey our Father out of a deep desire to honor Him. That's where freedom lies. That's where the power of the gospel becomes real in our lives. how we begin to love each other in a way that actually reflects uh, the genuine heart of God and that's who we want to be that's who we want to be can we stand together please guys I'm going to pray for us and then if you're serving communion this morning I'd invite you to, to go ahead and take your place feel as if you need to take a moment to just examine your own heart this morning before you take communion then absolutely do that if you'd like me to pray for you or if you came with someone who who might be happy to pray for you uh, confess your sin to them and receive forgiveness receive healing Father thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us you are such a great and compassionate God that you would make a way to clear our debt so that we could be set free to live lives that, that are full of love and generosity, and joy, a passion for life and an eagerness to serve others. Lord, I pray that you would increase our, our revelation of, of who you are and what you've done for us. And even this morning, Lord, as we remember, as we take the bread and as we take the the wine, Lord, we remember who you've called us to be. We remember who you are and all that you've done. Lord, that that we would reflect as your church who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.